morning, everyone. It's a wonderful day to be part of God's kingdom. Um, I've got, uh, for all of our crew that's online right now, and there's, there's quite a number that are online watching right now, uh, we are trying out a new microphone system, and hopefully this works. Uh, it won't make a difference here in our physical assembly, but hopefully it'll make a huge difference on our, in our assembly, uh, wherever people may be watching. And I'm sure we'll have some uh, glitches to work out here over the next little bit, but we're in process of improving the sound, and uh, the pictures come across pretty well. We have a, a sound that we're continually improving on. So um, if you're online, uh, you can feel free to give comments on how the sound is today, and we'll just see how things shake out in you know next little bit. Now, there is, I think for all of us, you know, we have a, a, a lot of things that are going on in our world. We had an election this last week, and we've had uh, the Gallatin County uh, imposing some different restrictions as far as uh, as as meeting places and stuff regarding COVID-19, that doesn't affect churches at this point in time. But there's a whole lot of things that we could talk about today. And what I'm going to share is something that is much, much greater than all of that, anything else that we could talk about. There is a quote that, and I've shared it before, but it's a quote that really has impacted me. And it goes like this. The early church didn't say, look what the world has come to, but said, look what has come to the world. In other words, the message of Jesus and everything dealing with the gospel was much greater and much more important than anything else that is passing that we could talk about at any given time. And we're going to share some of that today from the book of Timothy that we've been spending some time in. But one way I want to share that this is, I've seen this applied here in the last while, is on our church Facebook page, we have, we use it for broadcasting lessons and, and keeping people up to date on stuff sometimes. But I know that Melissa Bachmeyer has been tasked with here a while back of just putting up scriptures that keep people in a, in a good spot. And if you've been following it, we're going through 30 days of Thanksgiving leading up to our holiday of Thanksgiving. And so every day you can go on our church Facebook page and look, and there's going to be something that Melissa posts that is encouraging, uplifting, and some uh, reason that uh, we can be thankful. And what's been neat for me to watch is our church Facebook page has been shared by lots of people. Some of it, sometimes it's shared by, by you that are part of the church, and a lot of times it's shared by people that, I don't know who they are, maybe they've been part of the church here before, I have no idea. But what's neat is that some, that's just one of the avenues from the church here that we continue to, Lord willing, being a blessing and call people higher through, um, through social media. And uh, Melissa has done a fantastic job with that, and it's really, really neat. And so if you go through life and you think, man, today's just not the day, just pull up our church Facebook page, and there'll be some thought there in the previous days that, uh, that helps uh, call you higher and, and gives you some reasons to be thankful. And so there's, there's a lot there that we can, we can be excited about. Okay, the last few weeks I've been preaching through a section of Titus. Because Paul, as he has sent Titus to Crete, he says in the book of Titus, he says, I sent you there to appoint elders and to, to take care of some stuff. And it seems what Titus has done is Titus doesn't struggle with maybe a lack of self-confidence like we see that Timothy does. And Paul doesn't have to tell Titus, right, Titus, God's given you a spirit of power and, and not a spirit of timidity. He doesn't have to do that. He says, Titus, what I sent you there... Is, is to put things in order, not to get into all these constant debates with people about endless genealogies. You know, Titus is going to go in and he's going to fix everything. 
And Paul's like, that's, that's not what the point is, okay? That, that's not, you're not going to do that in this set of life, as some of that. But we see him telling Titus over and over and over again in the book of Titus. He says, Titus, teach them to do good. Because even one of their own poets from Crete has said that Cretans are evil, lazy gluttons all the time. <laughs> and that testimony, that self-reflection is true. And so you need to teach these people to do good, is what he shares. Now, we understand that it's not that easy, is it? There's a little more to it than that. In fact, Titus says in chapter 3, he says that we struggle to do good, don't we? Because at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Man, we can see that in our world, can't we? And when we talked about this section of Scripture, I shared that when I was in Albania, I remember sitting there across the table in the street cafe with a missionary there, and he looked out and said, in this world right here where there's 70% unemployment, there's people that, that steal uh, manhole covers and sell it for scrap metal, and then the neighborhood just puts their trash in it. It just... It, Terrible stuff that's happening in that world. All sorts of violence, all sorts of oppression. He said, I can understand how someone can wrestle with, is God there? But I don't know how anybody can wrestle with whether Satan's there or not. He's so evident. I think we can see that, can't we? When we look around our world, is our world is full of this sort of stuff. And Paul tells Titus, teach people to do good, because this is what else is out there. Teach them to do good. And he continues on in the next verses saying, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. And so this is the beginning of the how question. How do we do good when we see so much evil around us? First of all is that we have a really good God that is out there that's provided an example for us. Is that Jesus, who is God that is in the flesh, has come and walked among us, And as John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. All this motivation for God sending Jesus was because He loves us. And so God didn't wait for us to get our act together. He didn't wait for humankind to to get some stuff together and then send Jesus. It does say in Galatians that when the fullness of time, when the time was right, Jesus came, born of a woman, became humankind or mankind, just like us, walked among us and showed us this is what God is supposed to be about. And he gave us a phenomenal, unbelievable example. And so that helps us because before that, it was, it's a stretch. What would God do in my situation? If we don't have the example of Jesus, it's pretty tough to figure that out. But with the example of Jesus, he shows us something powerful. This is how you do it. You act like me. You imitate me. You have the attitude that I have. As we continue on, here's what we're going to get into today. Is there is some really good news is that there is this really good God that has made his living in us. Look at these next verses here. It says, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now we're going to talk about this verse today, and so we're going to unpack it a little bit here. Because this is a big answer to the question, how? How do I do good? How can I leave that stuff behind 
that seems to prompt me to do evil, even when I feel like I really want to do good and I can't seem to swing it. How do I do this? Give me, give me some insight to this. Here it is. Hey, let's start with what is, is shared here about uh, this good God in us. Is that It says He saved us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's part of what is, is shared here in these verses. He saved us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's a word that keeps coming up in here. What is it? Save, Savior, saved. That comes up several times in these verses that we've looked at over the last few weeks. Is that God is a God who saves. Now, I spent some time here the last few weeks as hunting season has opened, wandering around the woods when time would allow. Last night, uh, a few, uh, Landon and, and uh, Matt Bachmeyer went with uh, Luke, my son and I, and we went out and we wandered around trying to chase animals. And as the weather started to deteriorate, I looked out there and I thought at one point in time, and I hope nobody gets caught out in this bad weather tonight. Because there's times where the weather's great, and uh, if we get lost and we get stuck out in, in the wilderness, then maybe for some of us that's better than, that's great, you know, that's fine. It's all right, I can survive this. But when the weather turns bad, things get ugly, things get nasty. And if we get stuck or we get lost, it's so nice when someone can come along and save us, right? How many of you have ever been stuck in a vehicle? <laughs> Gary, you got stuck? Unbelievable. Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? If you live in Montana, sooner or later you're going to get stuck. And maybe you're not in a place where there's a lot of people coming by. Maybe there's not going to be a wrecker come by. Maybe you're out of cell phone coverage. How does it feel when that person comes along and says, with a big truck, and says, hey, do you need any help? Thanks for saving me. Thanks for pulling me out. It's wonderful. It's great. And that's how God presents himself here. He says that Jesus has saved us by his work. And he shares how this work functions. Look at the next, uh, as we continue on with the verse here. It says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. Now, from the earliest times, it's been understood by the church that what this refers to is water baptism. It is the time when we, we decide that uh, the way I'm doing things, the way I have been, I cannot do any longer. I cannot save myself. I need the helping hand of a good God that is going to save me because there's no other way. And when we submit to God at that point in time, we submit to Him in baptism. We see this in Acts chapter 2. After Jesus has died, He's gone to heaven, He is uh, uh, waiting for us uh, for, to go and, and to be with Him. And there is Peter at Pentecost. And Peter shares with the rest of the apostles, the people that are there at this great Jewish festival, this Jesus was everything that we had been waiting for and we, you executed him. And the people said they're cut to the heart. And they cried out and said, what do we do? What do we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he continues on from there. And this promise is not just for you, but it's for everybody that's coming after you. This is the great promise of God. And he shares something there is that we can be baptized and our sins can be forgiven. The New Testament talks a whole lot about that. We see it over and over again, people submitting to that. I love in Acts chapter 8 the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. 
This Ethiopian who has traveled, we'll just make a nice even number, a thousand miles from where he worked and served, to come to Jerusalem to be someone who was not accepted into the inner parts of the community. He would have had to, because of his life situation, stay outside of the inner parts of the temple and just listen over the walls or through the curtains. He traveled a thousand miles to do that. And he's on his way back, and he's reading from Isaiah the prophet. And uh, here comes Philip. Philip jumps on that chariot with him and explains from that verse the message of Jesus. And that Ethiopian, as he's going back home, says, Wait a minute, here's water. (laughs) Because there had to be water every few miles on those big, long journeys. It's like a gas station, because sooner or later, the horse, the donkey is going to run out of, is going to get thirsty, and you have to have water there. And uh, they, they, Ethiopian says, Wait a minute. Here's water. What's preventing me from being baptized? And in short, Philip says nothing. And that Ethiopian has his sins forgiven, and he goes on his way rejoicing. Now, we don't know this from Scripture, but history tells us that he went back and he shared his faith with the people that were down there. And there was churches that were planted because of the message that he shared. Well, you go to the next chapter. You have a guy that we've talked about here recently, a guy named Saul, who was persecuting the church, thinking that he had everything together, everything was great, and he's going on his way, and Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's blind. But he gets to the house of Ananias, and Ananias shares the message of God with him. And as Paul tells the story later, many years later, as he is on the steps of the temple when the, his own people are about to kill him, Ananias says, what's preventing you <laughs> from washing your sins away? And he is baptized. He comes in to the kingdom of God. And his life is never the same, and he never looks back, and God uses him to do powerful stuff. We can go to the next chapter in the book of Acts, where you have Cornelius, this Roman centurion who is who loves God, has some sort of desire to follow God, and, uh, and he calls Peter through a vision to come to his house. And boy, that was a, a huge thing for Peter, you don't go into the house of a Gentile because they, all the stuff that they do and all the stuff that they eat can make things unclean. You just don't go there. These gross. Not going to do that. Yuck. But through the vision, Peter understands he needs to enter the house. He goes in and you follow the story. And God does a little, no more than a little, does quite a bit of encouragement there. Holy Spirit descends and Peter's response is, what's preventing these people from being baptized with water? We can't do it. If God has given his approval there, then who are we to say that this, these people are, are outside of the kingdom of God? And we could come up with examples of thousands and thousands and thousands of others through history that God has got a hold of their heart and they've said, I cannot do things the way I have before. I'm in need of a Savior and I will submit so that I can be reborn. I can be washed. I can be changed. We're going to look at one more scripture here and then something from, uh, uh, from history that helps us just understand this a little better. Look at John chapter 3 where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, something he shares here in the story. And remember, Nicodemus is part of the Jewish ruling council, part of the people that put Jesus to death later. And he's there when that happens. But he comes to Jesus at night. And he starts asking some questions, and Jesus says this, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. 
How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. You know, that's a fair question, isn't it? That's a decent question. I've already been born. I can't be born again. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. In other words, there's a spiritual baptism out there that is important for you. And that understanding comes later. Look at this example here. This is written uh, about 180 years after Jesus is born from a guy named Tertullian, an early church leader. But what he does is he shares what this baptism thing is all about. He says, We as little fishes, in accordance with our ichthus, Jesus Christ, or, or big fish, are born in water. Uh, you see the symbols of fish sometimes that's on cars? That's what this is referring to. It's an acronym that the early Christians used to show their faith. They draw the symbol of the fish uh, because it was a way to, to share, um, share the, the message of Jesus with others. And so he uses that. He says, just as our Lord, our fish, was born in water, so are we born in water. He goes on another place to say, it has assuredly been ordained that no one can attain the knowledge of salvation without baptism. This comes especially from the pronouncement of the Lord who says, except one be born of water, he does not uh, have life. It should say except. Except one born of water, he does not have life. And that was the understanding of the early church for centuries, is that there's something powerful happens when we come to God in baptism, where we say, I cannot any longer... Follow God the way I have. I cannot do things the way I have. I see the world around me. It's full of evil. It's full of of sinfulness. It's full of destruction. And I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I need someone to help me be part of the solution. Because I can't do it on my own. And we submit to God in baptism. We were reborn. There's different ways that Scripture talks about it. Going from light, or going from darkness to light. Going from sin to forgiveness. Going from lost to being found. Going from, from you know, whatever. You see, being unclothed to being clothed with Christ. There's all those analogies that we see in Scripture. And that's something, as, as Peter said in Acts chapter 2, that we have that is a promise for us as well. Is that we can be reborn no matter where you come from, no matter what your situation is, no matter what your gender is, no matter what type of family you grew up in, no matter the color of your skin, every one of us can choose to be reborn and come into the kingdom of God. We have that opportunity. Uh, there's a, as, as people, we have a tendency through time to wrestle with some of this. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, as, as Christians or in Christendom, uh, we... Say that, well, you can't come to, to, God, to God unless God has, has preordained you to do that or unless you feel something in your heart or, or whatever it may be. And the promises of God are much simpler than that. He says, you want to come to me, I want everybody. And what I ask is that you come to me in repentance and faith and baptism and I'm going to wash your sins away. So all that of the past is gone. That's great news, isn't it? That's awesome news. That's the best news that's out there. Whatever you turn on, if you look at the news later today, what you're going to see right here is better than anything else you're going to see and more impactful. But the news doesn't stop there, does it, Mark? It doesn't stop there. Because that's not all it. Because what happens is I can be washed, right? I can have a new birth, but what happens tomorrow? What happens if I sin again? Now, for all of you who have been 
baptized, have committed your life to Christ. And uh, just as a side note, let me share this here. Now, we practice adult immersion because that's what the early church did. It is because baptism is a, district, is a statement of faith. And as, as infants or, or small children, you can't make that statement of faith. It's not there yet. Um, but God takes care. He, he's shared. As Jesus, as the children came to him and said, Let the little children come to me. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, little children don't have the need to come to God in baptism. It's us when we make the decisions willfully to, to dishonor God. And baptism is immersion, as that's what the word means, is, is to dip, dunk, or immerse. And so that's how we, we practice that, because that's what we see happen for centuries in the early church, and that's what we do. But that's not the only picture here, right? And we're going to see what Paul says next to, to Titus. But something that's important to note here is that after we become Christians, we've been Christians for a while, sooner or later, Something happens that even though we've been washed clean, even though we've been reborn, we sin again somewhere, don't we? I think that happens. There's Many of us have been Christians for quite a while. Danny, you've been a Christian for quite a while. Have you, did you sin after you were baptized? Yeah, yeah. Gary, you've been a Christian for a while. Have you sinned after you were baptized? Yes. That happens, doesn't it? Because that sinful nature, has, as long as we're in this flesh, has not worked its way out of us. But there's more to this news that Paul tells Timothy here. He says something else. He says, He saved us through the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously. Something I've noticed from Scripture is that God is a God that exists in community. We see this from the beginning, from creation. And God is a God that has continually wanted to be among his people. When he created the world, we see Adam and Eve in the garden, walking side by side with God, right? We see them talking face to face with God. That's the way he wanted it. That was the ideal situation that God created that was perfect there, that we could walk side by side with God and talk with him. He loves community. He loves great fellowship. Sin entered the world and destroyed that perfect relationship that we had with God. But you see, God isn't giving up. He never has. As God continues to approach people, he approaches Abraham out of the blue sky, literally, saying, Abraham, I am your great reward, and I'm going to bless all nations because of you. And he tells Abraham about himself, and he puts up with all of Abraham's shortcomings, but says, I'm going to be a very, very great reward for you. I want to be close to you. I want to be close to your descendants. And I've got a plan that I'm working here. Centuries later, when Moses is tending sheep and goats in the land of Midian, God approaches him and says, Moses, I've got a great plan. I want to be near my people, and you're going to be part of this. I have a great, great blessing in store for my people. And Moses wrestles with that. You see, God is not giving up and he's not taking no for an answer. We see that when you look at a map of how Israel camped when they came out of Egypt, God was in the center and his presence in the most holy place and the Israelites camped around because God wanted to be there in the middle among his people. We see in the prophets where God would say, I long to gather people to me like a hen gathers her chicks, but you're unwilling because of, of your sinful, hard hearts, you're pulling yourselves away from me. But I, it's not because I don't want that. I want you to come to me. I want you to be close to me. That's what Jesus, or that's what God demonstrates. And then when Jesus comes, he is called Emmanuel, which means God with 
us. God in the flesh, walking around among us, sharing the love of God through example. And it doesn't stop there. We see the next step here is that God went far, far beyond just taking flesh and coming in this world and walking around among us. He did something much, much greater. Is God said, I'm going to go even further, is that I'm going to indwell or live within my people as they come to me. And I have, honestly, a hard time getting my mind around that. And I have a hard time uh, understanding what all that means. And I think that's part of the point, is that if we understood everything about what God is, then uh, he wouldn't be all that spectacular, it wouldn't be all that amazing, right? That's how it works. But something I know here is that people have, since this promise was given to us, have always wrestled with this. What does this mean that, that we have this Holy Spirit continual renewal among us? In fact, you see uh, in some different ways that people have wrestled with it. You know, with, within our own fellowship. Uh, it's been quite a time now, a lifetime ago, but there was a time uh, where the understanding of Scripture was that God's Holy Spirit works through the Word and that's it. There is no indwelling. And religious groups, uh, Christian religious groups have done that all throughout time. Is that somehow that we wrestle with this. How on earth could the Holy Spirit actually live within me? How can part of God live within me? That seems like that is too much. That seems like that's impossible. How, how is that evident? How can, how can we even do that? I think hopefully we understand Scripture a little better or walk by faith a little better in in that area. But what we see in Scripture real clearly is that when we come to Christ, is there's a part of Him, there's a part of God that lives in us, that works in us to transform and to leave the old past behind. Instead of just being reborn, we continually have the opportunity to be renewed. And so how this looks in practice, and uh, we can we could talk about this a lot. In fact, we spent some time on a Wednesday night talking uh, for months about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. But what it means is simply this. When you go back to the very beginning of time, we see the Holy Spirit time after time after time being involved in the transformation of the lives of people. And let me ask you this question. Is God still transforming lives? Yes. We see it, don't we? We see it. You look at yourself and think, how, since the time that I've become a Christian, has God changed and transformed my life? Now, we can continue to jump into sinful nature and continue to to try to uh, indulge that flesh in, in us, and we don't let the Spirit work. It's called grieving the Holy Spirit, and Scripture talks about that. But if we have a heart to say, I don't want to have that old self anymore. I want to be a new creation then what God does is that He continues to work on us, He continues to mold us, He continues to renew us, He continues to refresh us, He continues to transform us so that what we were before is no longer the case and we become something much, much more amazing and beautiful. The example I've used, and and this is, uh, forgive me if you remember this one or heard this one before, but I've shared that working at teen camp, at Yellowstone Bible Camp, what I see is the Holy Spirit just eking out and poking out little bit by bit as these young people are coming to Christ and they're changing their lives. And I don't want to overstate it. I see a lot of spiritual uh, 
spiritual qualities that come out, and it's amazing and it's beautiful. And a generation ago, it was a lot less. And I see uh, God working in amazing ways there. But I had the opportunity to participate in a Golden Age camp uh, here a few years ago, and that's people that are over 55 that participate. And man, I can tell you the Spirit of God was alive and well in the transformed lives of those people. And one of the things that I shared, one of the lessons I shared, we talked about the Holy Spirit in our life. And I had a number of people come up and share. I believe that the church that I'm a part of, wherever it was, all of these people lived in the Bible Belt. I believe that we're suffering because we don't believe in the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we miss it. And, And it was hard to hear, but it was neat to see from these people that they understood the great changes that happened in their lives were because the Holy Spirit working in them, renewing them day in, day out. Because what the Holy Spirit does is it helps us work through addictions that we may have to sinful nature. And it helps us work through those and transform us so that we can leave those addictions behind. And if you're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, Chris, I've had some sin that I've wrestled with for a long, long time and I have not been able to kick it, or at least the temptation is still there and I want it so badly to be gone, just remember 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And my advice is continue to struggle, continue to to stretch, because in this life that's what we're going to do. But God's words are, my grace is sufficient for you. Because I'm going to continue to renew you day in, day out. First John 1 talks about that. Now, there's sinful nature. There's sins that you remember and think, man, I just can't believe I did that. It haunts me and the guilt burdens me. And I still struggle with that sometimes. Here's what I would say to you. God's grace is sufficient for you. God's taking care of that. No matter how you may feel, no matter how you may struggle, God's Grace has taken care of that. Now, I would encourage you to be very careful to not use this as a crutch. God has never intended us to use the Holy Spirit to say, oh, well, you know, I just continue to sin, and I know God's word takes care of it. You know, Paul is really clear about that, is that's not the case. If we continue to pursue willful sin with, without repentance, then that's not what the grace of God is designed for, and none of us want to be in that spot. But hopefully what we see from this is, and, and here's an example in a book I was reading this last week, shared an example similar to this. Uh, There is a a going from being a caterpillar to being a butterfly. How many of you have watched that process? And with the amazing technology that we have right now, we have the opportunity to go on YouTube and you can watch some fast-forward video of some worm or some caterpillar that's beautiful in its own right, but it's not what it's designed to be, to go into something else and a butterfly that is beautiful, that is designed to fly. And uh, that's how this transition and this transformation works for us, is that we see that there's so much evil, there's so much bad out there, and we're part of the problem. But God's plan for us is this, that we can, as is shared in the, in the Scripture here, how can we do good he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I'm convinced that as we go through life, <laughs> we give our heart to God, and we have submitted to God in a new rebirth, in the, the faith and repentance that comes through baptism. 
If you haven't done that, let's talk, because that's important. And uh, that's, a, that's a part of God's plan for us to come into His kingdom. And, uh, and if you, you haven't submitted to God in that way, then, man, let's talk, because this is, this is great news. Is that in, gets us into a world or, or brings us into the kingdom of God where we can receive renewal day in, day out. And as Christians, let's remember that because there's all sorts of, again, bad news in the world that can get our hearts and minds going all sorts of different directions. But God has said, your home is not in this world. You know the song that uh, we sing, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through? The idea there is that when we are people of God, then he's transforming us. And whatever's happened in this world around us, we have much bigger fish to fry and much bigger things to concern ourselves with because we are being renewed day by day and we have something to share with the people around us. I was thinking back this week on my own decision to follow Christ when I was in high school. I have shared that here six months ago and I won't share it again right now. But whenever I think about that story... It still touches me. And I hope it's always that way. And I hope it is for you as well. Just take a minute to think about the day that you decided, I cannot anymore do things my own way, but I will submit to God and allow Him to save me. Think about that for a second. And that day is... Maybe different for all of us. Maybe you were made that decision. You were, were baptized into baptistry with heated water. Maybe it was uh, February and ice cold water, like myself. <laughs> that um, when I uh, came out of that water, I felt something. I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit, but it was definitely something. There was ice in the water, and man, I felt it. And I came out of that water fast, faster probably than I've ever moved in the rest, in, in my entire life. But I look back at that time and I think. That's where things started differently for me. There was a change-up. Maybe the even better news is that renewal continues to happen every day. And I have, uh, in this life, continued to go through this transformation process where I leave that old self behind. And I know that someday, when I come face-to-face with God based on the promises that I see in Scripture, that transformation will be complete. And I will be something completely and totally different, leaving all of that junk, that sinful nature behind. That's the promise to me, that's the promise to you, and that's better news than anything is out there in the world. Let's not ever fall into the temptation of, of making Christianity something that is, that is sterile, that is only academic, that is only cerebral in our mind, but something that touches our heart and changes our lives. Realizing that day in, day out, God is working in you and me, whether we feel it or not, whether we see it or not, whether we feel that there's some sort of experience that happens or not, because, let's face it, most of the days that we live on this life, there's not something amazing, encouraging, earth-shattering, spiritual that happens to us. Is there? Maybe there is. For Beth, it probably does. Every day there's something amazing happens, right? No, I just like to joke with Beth because she's a great example for all of us. But there's days that we think, man, I just didn't do well today or this is not what I intended for today to be like. All sorts of things like that. But we have the promise of God of Him saving us and giving us a rebirth and a renewal. 
And I'm convinced that more than anything else that happens in our world, us keeping this in front of our, our minds and our hearts every day, that I am reborn and I am being renewed continually, will do more to change the world than anything else we can ever participate in. Thankful for that. Amen? Are you thankful for the rebirth and the renewing of Jesus? It's beautiful and it's amazing. And I hope as all of us leave here today that these words are on our lips and on our hearts. And to sharing the Lord's Supper together and then we will sing our way back out into the world. And we have a lot to be thankful for. Amen.